Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you're all having a good one. It's good to see Aiden here and Nolan and Lisa and Chris. That's my family. Good to see all your families too. God is good. All right, so if you have Bibles or devices or if you've got it memorized, I'm turning to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to read a portion out of there, and then we're going to get started on this message. So I'm turning to Genesis chapter 1. Start reading in verse 26. Are you ready? All right, you guys are great. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Beginnings are important. In life's journey, where we end up depends a great deal on where we start. We can begin with God, or we can begin with ourselves, independent from God. But we won't arrive at the same destination. Genesis means beginning, and in the beginning, everything starts with God. Let's just pray. Oh, Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. You are the one who made us. And when you made us, Lord, we know that you made us for this place and for this moment. So, Lord, we thank you for all you're doing in us, Lord. And I pray now, Lord, that you would cause us to hear what you want us Say to us today, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for each person here that you will give a blessing to each person and that no one will leave here the same way as they came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the second message in our series on discovering the heart of God in the Old Testament. We're accepting the challenge of reading the Old Testament from God's point of view. And I'd like to encourage you, as we go through this series, to study along with it, read along with it. This series is designed to make you ask questions. And I like questions. It shows you've been listening. So you're going to have questions. So ask them. 
there's ways to ask questions. You could put a comment on the church disciple book, discipleship page. You could uh, ask a question in a discipleship group. Um, ask me <clears throat> if you can catch me. And uh, we are going to learn together. Now, we began the series last week by understanding that every part of the Old Testament scripture has something useful that is relevant to our situation and applies to us. It's the story of one God who has one purpose and one plan. And we learned that everything that God did in the Old Testament, he did so that we will be with him together forever. The story begins in the book of Genesis. Genesis tells us how everything began. And it's full of explanations about why things are the way they are now. Genesis might be the most important book of the Bible. I think we should be hearing a lot more sermons preached from Genesis. I've got one, but it could be seven. But this is an interesting day to preach about Genesis because we're on Thanksgiving weekend. And everyone's supposed to sit around the table with all their food and their turkeys and their pumpkins or whatever you people eat. But we're supposed to be thankful for what we have. But really we have to think about who are we being thankful to? When you think about Thanksgiving, all the things that you are thankful for are things that you have no ability to create. They're things that someone else had to make. Right? And have you ever made a turkey? I don't mean cooked it. I mean put the feathers on the thing and made it gobble. And if you put your hand up, I want to see you after the service. <clears throat> Ask how you did it, you know. None of you have ever made a pumpkin. But the serious things, the most important things we're thankful for are things that we couldn't make. Someone had to make them. And that's what Genesis is about. We should be hearing more messages from Genesis. Now, Genesis presents a problem to our modern world. People don't know how to deal with it. Many people choose to ignore Genesis. Others ridicule it or say, well, it's a myth or a pretty story, some sort of narrative poetry that's full of symbols. But the world needs the message of Genesis. Our modern society is in turmoil because our philosophies cannot give us the answers to the big questions that we have. We have questions every day. We want to know what's the answer to racism? How are we supposed to steward our environment? Well, what's the truth about sexuality? Is there any purpose or meaning in that? What does it mean to be a human being? Now, when I was a young atheist, I used to think that Genesis was the weak link in the Christian chain. And I believed that if I could study Genesis and understand it, that I'd be able to convince all those Christians I knew that the Bible wasn't true and there was no God. Genesis was the key. Someone would say to me, Rudy, did you know Jesus died for your sins? Yeah, but what about the dinosaurs? Huh? Yeah. Right? <clears throat> I was so smart. Right? Oh, thank you, Jesus. You saved me. But, you know, so, but now, I think Genesis is the only explanation that makes any sense at all. When you, if you, when you now that I've actually read it, it's the only explanation that makes sense of the way the world is today. Genesis has the answers to our biggest questions in life. We want to know what is the difference between right and wrong. We want to know why is there suffering and death. We want to know what's the meaning of life. Understanding Genesis is foundational to understanding our place in the universe. 
It tells us who we are as humans. It tells us why things work the way they do. Genesis is foundational for our understanding of the gospel. Some Christians seem to be embarrassed by Genesis because they're worried. Well, doesn't it contradict science? Well, here's a scientific fact for you. There is no teaching in the entire Bible that contradicts a known scientific fact. And it's also true that nothing science has discovered has ever disproved any part of the scripture. I got an amen for that. Thank you. Genesis is not a symbolic narrative. It's true. It's relevant to our daily lives and to our faith in Jesus. The Old and the New Testaments constantly refer to the early chapters of Genesis as describing historical events and real people. Jesus literally staked his life on Genesis. He died on the cross to undo the events that happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the world. We can be saved by Christ's sacrifice because Genesis is history. Now, Genesis also shows the foundational patterns for every area of life as they were built into the creation by God. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not a follower of Jesus, whether you believe in Genesis as true or you don't, it's still true. Those, the patterns built in creation are still true and they still apply. Everyone want to test the theory of gravity? I don't. God created, right? The patterns God established in the beginning are really the way things work. Genesis begins with God creating everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, says Genesis 1.1. And the Bible tells us that God the Father created the heavens and the earth through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. God created the universe in love. That's why it's here. Because God is love. That's why the galaxies are here. That's why the earth and the sun and the moon are here. It's why the mountains and the oceans are here. Because God is love and created the universe in love as an expression of his love. And Genesis tells us everything that God created is an expression of his love and of his goodness. Everything. A perfect expression of his love and his goodness. God saw everything he made and he said, that's good. That's good. Why was it good? Because it's the way he wanted it to be. That's what made it good. What we believe about Genesis makes a difference. Whether we believe that everything, including us, is the result of a random cosmic accident, or whether we believe that we come from an intelligent, caring God, it makes a difference. There are two ways to look at the world. On the one hand, we hear from popular culture that there's nothing beyond what we can see or touch. That's all there is. Nothing else matters. It makes no difference to how you live, if that's the truth. On the other hand, Genesis tells us a personal God created everything as an expression of his love, and that he's a God who isn't separate from his creation, but he's actively involved in the universe, and he's working in our lives. That makes a difference, if you believe that. Genesis tells us God's the source of all life. Life's a mystery. Scientists 
have tried, but they cannot make life in the laboratory. But God creates life by speaking his word. He creates fish and whales to fill the sea. He creates birds to fill the sky. And because God is love and he wants his new creation to be teeming with life, he fills it with wild diversity and abundance. God has the power to create a bird or a butterfly. But God also has the imagination and the creativity that he created 10,000 different types of birds and 18,000 species of butterflies. You ever wonder that? Why does there have to be more than one kind of butterfly? I mean, I'd be pretty impressed if I made one, 18,000. Don't get me started on the flowers and the orchids, but, you know, amazing creativity. Love being just poured out to fill everything in the earth. But God didn't make the earth for the birds and the fish and the animals. From the very beginning, God's plan was to make the world a perfect home for us. God's plan was to make the world a perfect home for people humankind. He made the earth a place where we can live, where we can work, where we can multiply and have families. And most important of all, he made the world a place where we can live in fellowship with God and worship him. Genesis tells us that in God's creation, people are special. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're special. All right. Amen. God says so. He made people special. God, in his infinite love, planned something special for the man and woman he made. And that sets people and humankind apart from every other creature. And what he did was he made us in his own image. Genesis 1.26 says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. To be created in God's image isn't about your physical appearance, all right? Thank goodness for that. God is a spirit. He doesn't have arms and legs and eyes and ears like a person. But when God decided to make people, he gave us a personality and a mind like his own. With the capacity to think, the capacity to be creative, the capacity to love. We're in his image. Individual human beings are precious to God. Physically, we're just dust. Physically, you know, we're just a handful of chemicals that maybe is worth a dollar ninety-seven or something. Right? I mean, just that's not that much. But to God, because the image of God is in us, that makes each individual extremely, extremely precious incalculable worth. And that's a message the world needs to hear today. There's something going on in the world today where individuals aren't real. They're not important. In our culture, it seems nothing is sacred. But each individual human life is sacred because it bears the image of God. The value of a person is not the sum of his or her accomplishments. It's not their social status or their group identity. The value of a per, an unborn child, an elderly person, people who are sick, people who are frail, people who have disabilities, 
It doesn't matter. Everyone has intrinsic value as an individual and inherent dignity because of God's image in them. There are no useless people. There's no ordinary people. This is foundational for what we believe about human rights. It's the foundation for the whole Ten Commandments. It's the foundation of Jesus' command to love your neighbor. Why do you have to love your neighbor? Because your neighbor's made in the image of God just like you are. Because all people are equal because we share his image. God made humans male and female in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's another message the world needs to hear today because we get confused about it. But male and female is very, very important. The categories of male and female, according to Genesis, are foundational to the image of God in people. I had an intelligent Christian woman once ask me, she says, when do you think in Genesis that human beings finally became male and female? She had been taught in a church that somehow God made humans in his image and then gradually over time they sort of morphed and separated into the sexes. I had to ask her to read this verse. I said, what does that tell you? The categories of male and female are foundational to the image of God and people. He created them male and female so that the man in his maleness shows the image of God and the woman in her femaleness shows the image of God and there's one image of God, but he made them to be equal. He made them to complement each other. He made them to be partners. He made them to help each other. He made them to work together to fulfill God's purposes in the earth. By creating us in his image, God shows his plan was for humans to live in his presence. God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was in its perfect place. There was the world, there was humankind, and there was God, and God was in the center. Paradise was really a paradise, not because the animals were all tame or because you didn't have to wear clothing, but because God was at the center. When the creator God is at the center, everything else is where it belongs. Everything is in in its correct place, revolving around him, and everything works. Today, mankind is at the center, and we have problems. With man at the center, nothing fits. We're lost. We don't know where we belong. We don't know where we come from. We don't know where we're going. With God at the center, I have meaning, purpose, peace, and a home where I belong. Everything works, and we find our place of belonging and purpose as we worship the Creator. We were created to worship God. We keep thinking that worship means singing songs and lifting our hands and clapping, which is all wonderful stuff. But first of all, Worship means recognizing that God is your creator. One of the reasons Genesis is so crucial for the church today is that the foundation of all worship is the acknowledgement of our correct posture in relation to God is that he is the creator and we are his creation. Don't get that mixed up. It doesn't work the other way around. Although, goodness knows, I tried. Only the creator God is worthy to receive worship. There is no other. If Barb makes me a nice dinner, I can thank her for it. I can praise her. 
I can't worship her because she didn't create me. Just get Only the creator is worthy of worship. Throughout the Bible, true worship always begins with the truth we learn in Genesis that God is worthy because he created heaven and earth. You start going through worship in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and it's always, God, you're the creator. That's why I'm worshiping you. Psalm 95 says, The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he's our God and we're the people of his pasture. In Nehemiah, we read, Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and power. You alone, our Lord, you made the heavens, even the highest heavens. And all their starry hosts, the earth and all that's on it, the seas that's all, and all that is in them. And in Revelation we read, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The heart of worship is to recognize, first of all, He's the Creator, I am the created one. Adam and Eve were made to live in God's presence and to worship Him. They weren't made to be independent of God, but they weren't made to be robots either. You know, a mountain gives glory to God just by sitting there and being majestic. Trees give glory to God just by having branches and leaves that look so amazing. Jesus said if a stone could give God glory just by being gray and lumpy. But in all God's creation, we can worship God because we want to. Because we can choose to from our hearts. God gave us the ability to know him as our creator. He gave us the ability to worship him freely from our hearts. Together, we're called to be a worshiping community, worshiping him, proclaiming his glory along with the whole creation on heaven and on earth. With God at the center and men and women worshiping their creator together, it was a perfect life in the garden. So how did the world get so messed up An enemy has done this. No one has to tell us. We know that something's gone wrong with the world. My grandsons are young. At a certain point in their life, they might have, must have started asking questions. Why are things weird? Why aren't things just right? Uh, you know, How did the world get so messed up? Why is there so much heartbreak and misery? Why do bad things happen to Good people? Why is... What, how can God be completely good and all-powerful when the world is full of suffering and pain and death? We know something's not right. The Bible tells us God is good. But Genesis explains why things aren't the way God intended them to be. God's perfect world was contaminated and corrupted by sin. God gave Adam and Eve a command. They could eat fruit from any tree in the garden except the one that had the power to give the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. The command came with a clear warning that there were consequences for eating the fruit and that that consequence was death. I could preach on that right now, but I can't explain it to any time. Let's be clear, there was nothing wrong or evil about the tree. It was not an evil tree. God made the tree and he said, it's good. It was a good tree. And the knowledge wasn't evil. There's nothing evil about the knowledge of good and of right and wrong. There's nothing, that's nothing bad, not bad to have that. 
What was wrong was to take that knowledge for themselves. Instead of receiving God's truth, they decided to take the power to decide for themselves what was right and wrong. How many times have you heard someone say, well, I want what's right for me. Now, maybe You may say it's wrong, but it's right for me. Well, that's what they wanted to do. They decided to take that power to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. And when they did that, they made a choice to stand independent and separate from God. That's the nature of sin. Human will is that the center instead of God at the center. Instead of humans dwelling in the presence of God, it's humans saying, no, I will not stay in this relationship with God where he's my creator and I'm his creature. I will stand alone and I'll rule myself. So sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Says Romans 5, then probably one of the key, key verses in the entire scripture. With human will at the center instead of God. The whole creation was put out of balance. Nature itself became abnormal. Instead of being exactly where we belong, humankind is now lost. Adam and Eve were expelled from God's presence and cast out of their beautiful garden. And since then, every person has lived with these consequences, failure, suffering, pain, and death. If that's the, where this story ends, that would look like God's plan failed. But Genesis is not just the story of human failure. It's also a message about God's redeeming love. It's at the point of the fall when humanity is at its lowest, that God reveals his plan to rescue and restore his creation. In Genesis 3.15, God speaks to the serpent, Satan, and he tells him, if you think you achieved a victory, you are mistaken. And he tells the serpent and Adam and Eve that one day, that woman he harmed will have a descendant. And born of her seed, who will defeat all of Satan's schemes and crush him forever. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He'll bruise you on the head and you'll bruise him on the heel. Now in biblical language, children are born from the seed of their father. And descendants are traced through the male line. But God says it is Eve's seed, Eve's descendant, who will destroy Satan. Yay, women. (laughs) Eve's seed will destroy the devil and his schemes. This is a promise about a child conceived without the involvement of a human father. Right? That's what it says. This is a promise about a miracle virgin birth. God knew the Genesis project would take thousands of years. He knew it would take over many generations of people. He knew it would involve hundreds of individuals and families and whole nations. But one day, At the right time, a man born of a woman entered human history. He went about doing good and healing everyone who was oppressed by the devil. He opened blind eyes and raised the dead to life again. 
Jesus Christ is indeed the seed of the woman. He defeated sin and Satan at the cross. He rose in victory over death. He crushed the serpent's head permanently. The entire Old Testament is the story of everything that God did to prepare for that moment of victory. And God's story is our story. Because in Christ, we share in Christ's victory. God's story is our story's true. Is our story too. That's how God began the Genesis project. Now next time, we're going to look at the people God chooses to be part of his plan. We'll see how one man's faith made him the father of all of us who believe and how he brought God's greatest blessing to the whole world. I want you to join me next week and we'll find out how we became part of the Abraham promise. Genesis is a message we need today. Separation from God. Departure from his presence is a human initiative. We started it. But God took the initiative to bring us back to himself. Adam rebelled. Humanity failed. But God's love did not fail. God's love did not stop. God didn't turn away from us. God did not abandon us. And he certainly could have if he'd wanted to. He put in place instead the greatest plan the universe has ever seen. A plan to make us a new creation and to give us a new beginning. That's what God's about. He's about a new beginning. If you're wondering today where God is, what God's heart is, if you're wondering what does God want, if you're wondering... What does God think about me? What's his attitude? Then this is the answer. God made you. In his image. To love you. And to have you near him. He's not far away from any of us. No matter who you are. Or what you've done or wherever you find yourself right now in your life, the Bible says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's the message of Genesis. A loving God who made us in love and never stopped loving us and created the world's greatest plan to redeem us, to restore the whole creation and to give us new beginnings. If God seems far away, Today's a good day to turn back to him, to come close to him. And the Bible says, one step towards God, and he will draw near to you. If God seems far away, turn to him and draw near to the one who took the initiative to bring us all back home. If we know that God is near to us, then we should acknowledge him as our creator and draw near to him in worship. And in praise. What does the scripture say? Come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. I'm going to just, let's just pray together for a minute. I just want to say a prayer and pray over you. And then Matt's going to come and do something probably. So let this prayer be your prayer too. Oh Lord, 
who has never abandoned us, who's never turned your back on the suffering of human people, Lord, who makes everything new and everything good. You are our maker. We're the sheep of your pasture. You're our shepherd. Lord, we draw near to you in our hearts. Oh, Lord God, I pray for every person here today, Lord, that we will remember who is the one that we're thankful to and for all the wonderful things you've done. Lord, I pray for anyone who feels far away from you today, Lord, that you would draw them close to you, Lord God. Draw near to us, Lord. We worship you, we praise you, and we honor you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.